You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Church. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Let's jump in. Well, Jody told me he was going to be preaching through Ephesians, and he already did the armor of God in chapter 6, and I'm going to do the last half of chapter 5, so we're doing Ephesians backwards. And uh, that'll add a little novelty to it, and you can remind him that he needs to do that. Um, Ephesians five nineteen through 33 is the text today. If you'll open your Bible to that passage, we're going to stay there, and there'll be plenty for us to ingest. I was taught when I was just a young pup coming up that this was the passage about chain of command. Bill Gothard with Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts taught that all over the world. Uh, and that Ephesians 5 establishes a Christian chain of command for the proper structure of a household. I think Dr. Dobson got into that and a few others. And then there was some uh, reactions. A lady wrote the book uh, Total Woman. We called it Totaled Woman. Uh, But uh, there was a lot of conflict going back and forth, and it's still going on. Yesterday's comics, if you get the local paper, had... Dennis the Menace being asked by his buddy, who's in charge at your house? And he said, my mom. And he said, well, what does your dad do? And he said, he bosses the dog. Uh, and so you have that kind of uh, cynical response where uh, it, when I was, my sister, little sister was asked by someone, who's the boss at your house? And she said, oh, um, mom, who's in charge at your house? She said, mom's in charge, but dad's the boss. Well, we all knew that if you went to my dad and asked him for permission to do something, he'd say, what'd your mom say? Or he'd say, go ask your mom. And so functionally, we knew who the boss was. Uh, But he was in charge because uh, she told him he was. Uh, And that's the way it it worked at our house. Uh, Some people use a corporate uh, org chart, CEO, CFO, COO, and you... Uh, do that as a, a, a model. Now, if that's what Paul is trying to teach, he's wasting his breath and his words because that was the, the New Testament world. Men were not only in charge, the head of the house, the boss, they were the owner. And legally, they owned their daughters, they owned their wives. Uh, and what they said went. So there's no reason for, for Paul to teach about chain of command. Chain of command was firmly embedded in the culture. Uh, and uh, a man could legally even, if he had cause, could kill his wife. He could divorce her for any reason. Uh, men were large and in charge. And of course, as an 18-year-old Bible college student, when I was taught it, it sounded good to me because I happened to be male. And uh, so I thought, well, this is great, but boy, I'm glad I wasn't born a woman uh, because I wouldn't want to have to submit. And I remember hearing my wife's father saying to, his, to her mother, I've asked you to submit. When he said that, it meant he'd lost the argument. Uh, and what he was wanting to do was probably not very bright, uh, but he had the trump card. The scripture says you have to submit. So let's take a look. First of all, let's lay a foundation from Scripture, and then we'll go back and make some application. Uh, Ephesians 5, we're going to begin in uh, 
I think verse 19, and go through verse 33. So he says, to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Well, that's not about chain of command. That's not about structure in a household. Yes, it is. The Apostle Paul, the first expression of what true worship is, is marriage. And he's going to go on and talk about uh, parents and children and workers and their bosses and right on down the different roster of relationship. But he starts by saying, uh, let's go back to that other text, verse 19. Uh, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now he's not talking about 20 minutes on Sunday morning. And he's not talking necessarily about pianos and guitars and drums and vocalists. He's talking about worship. And worship starts at home. The church begins in your house. You are, if you're a Christian and you have a Christian family, then your house is the church. And you gather with the other churches to be the church. Because Christian faith and Christian worship begins at home. And so this part of the text goes with the rest of it. We can't start uh, in 21. Okay, let's go to the next verse. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just continue. Uh, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, who's supposed to submit? The husband or the wife? The answer is yes. Who's to submit? Submit to one another. Who's that? That's us. Is it to be the husband that's the, or the wife that's to submit or the husband? Yes. This is the right answer. Okay, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So he's going to establish a standard. And he says, yes, there needs to be submission. But who did he tell to submit? Both, husbands and wives. He says, yeah, wives, I'm talking to you. Uh, so the freedom in Christ, the new life that you found in, in the church doesn't relieve you of the responsibility to submit. And, and really what he's probably saying is quit manipulating and quit uh, twisting his head the direction you want to go and be full partners in this marriage. Okay, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So he's introducing something new here and we'll come back and talk about it in a moment. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their, own, to their husbands in everything. Why does the church submit to Christ? Because he's large and in charge? Well, yes, certainly he's in charge of the universe. But we respond to his love. We respond to his sacrifice on our behalf. We respond to the cross. And he's saying... Uh, Wives should submit to their husbands and everything just as the church submits to Christ. Who's the church? Us. So he's still talking to all of us. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's continue. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Next. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 
Scripture tells us that when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see our sin. He sees his child. He sees the object of his love. He sees the one where he, that he sacrificed for and says, it was worth it. As Christians gather all over the planet today to, to worship God, to worship Jesus, he's looking at his children and saying, I love them. They're pure and holy and blameless in my sight because I've called them to be a part of my body, the body of my son, Jesus Christ. That's the way he views us. He presents us to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Logical. Verse 29. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Do you ever have an argument with the members of your body about who's in charge? <laughs> your body it needs, everybody, it needs everything else. We're a unit. And he's saying marriage is the same way. You're a unit. Just as you have your own body that you take care of, you have this unit now that's been created, which is husband and wife, family, and you're responsible to take care of it. Verse 30, for we are members of his body. Next. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now he's quoting, he's quoting his father in Genesis, the original purpose of marriage. So he's going back to the beginning, verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Leave that up there for a moment. Five times in the book of Ephesians, Paul uses the word mystery. Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 defines what the mystery is. Chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 6, we'll give you homework. Look up the mystery words and see what it's talking about in Ephesians. But he's been talking about that all the way up, and now he's saying, here, the, the mystery is revealed through marriage and through the church. Verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So he's saying, yeah, I mean what I said about marriage, but that's not really what I was talking about. And so he says, if you've come this far and you're still thinking I'm talking about chain of command, go back and look again, because I'm really talking about the mystery. And how the mystery is applied to marriage. All right, there are several kinds of love in the world. There's agape, which is godly love. And that means to do what's best for another, regardless of how they respond or what they do for you. It's the uh, most selfless kind of love in the world. Then there's eros, erotic sexual love. Yea, God. Great plan, great idea. Uh, thank you very much. We appreciate Eros. Phileo, family love. We have Philadelphia, this, the city of brotherly love, taken from that word. Uh, phileo, and we experience phileo in the body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters uh, in the church and in, in, in the family. And then there's symbiosis. Symbiosis is love based on need. You can tell how old you are if you know this phrase. Will you still feed me? Will you still need me? 
when? When I'm 64. I'm hoping for 74. Uh, but he's talking about symbiotic love. Love based on need. We see it all over the world. In, in Russia, men and women hook up and get married and have children and then they separate. Because they don't have the need. The, the, the woman doesn't have a need for a child anymore and she doesn't want to put up with her husband who's probably an alcoholic. And that's the way the culture works. As long as there's a need, they're together. If the need goes away, they go away. Because they have a relationship based on need. In Ephesians 5, we're, we're introduced to an otherworldly kind of love. It's a love that the world has never seen before that can only be practiced in the body of Christ. I call it Savior love. And when, when Paul says, if you didn't get that out of the text, go back and read it again. If you didn't see the emphasis that I was making, check it out. Don't, don't take your cultural bias and make this a justification for a culture that doesn't work, that makes people miserable. He talks about Savior love. Savior love is worship-based. Ephesians 5, 19-21. It's an expression of reverence for Jesus. And as we said, the church begins at home. And it's not, this, this Savior love is applied not just to marriage. So if you're not married, don't check out. Because it, it really applies to every relationship in your life. It applies to us as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It applies to us as friends. It applies to us, uh, he'll go on and talk about employers or masters and servants and children and parents and He'll show how it applies to every situation in life. But Jesus is the model for Savior love. And he exercises headship through Savior love. And so Paul says, I want you you men, you husbands, you be the head of the family just like Christ is the head of the church. Is Christ, our Savior Jesus, is he dominant and domineering and controlling and demanding? No, never. We don't experience that kind of love from Jesus. So he's saying, I just took the chain of command and put it aside because I want you to shoot a lot higher. I want you not to have a model taken from the military or from the corporate world or from uh, some, some other kind of chain of command. I want you to experience a relationship and a love with each other that can only learn from Jesus. This is a love that you can't get anywhere else, that can't be practiced anywhere else. And he's saying, I want your marriage to be a conundrum, a mystery, a puzzle, inexplicable, so that the world will come to you, people who know you will say, how do you do this? I can remember clearly A guy coming to me after we'd been married about four years, and he said, what happened to Deanna? I said, what do you mean? He said, she glows. I said, well, we have a happy marriage. And he said, well, it's obvious. And I said, what about me? He said, oh, you don't glow. (laughs) But you're pretty happy. Jesus is the model of Savior love. He exercises headship through Savior love. Savior love is submissive and loving and sacrificial. And by practicing Savior love, we restore each other. Now this is something that's in the text that you won't see in the English. 
But in the Greek, you would know that the word Savior means restorer. What, what do we mean when we talk about restoration? I have an old truck, a 52 Chevy, that the men of the church gave me for pastor's appreciation one time. I'm pretty proud of it. And it started out as a rust bucket. And I have pictures of it before it was restored. It, had been, it was 50 years old at that point. It had been used and abused, and it had rust uh, on the fenders. And somebody took it and restored it. Brought it back to original condition. What's our original condition on the planet? Oh, a husband and a wife put in a garden, a beautiful garden by God to share their life with him. Worship. They were there to work and to care for the garden. The word work is also the same word for worship. Workshop in, in, when you get in the Latin. They were put in the garden to share life together with God and to worship him freely and to love one another without any restrictions. And Jesus came into the world to restore that. And what he wants you to experience in your marriage is that. Not who's the boss. We know who the boss is. Who's the boss? Jesus. He already established that. He's the head of the church. Who's the church? Us. Where does the church begin? At home. And, and it affects all of our relationships. So Jesus is the restorer. He came to restore the love and community that existed in the garden before the fall. So how does he do that? How does he model what he wants us to practice in marriage? Well, we have the words in the text. He does it through sacrifice. He gave himself up for us. He just took the bar of headship and lifted it way up. Jesus loved you so much, he expressed his love through sacrifice, sacrificing himself he restores us through headship. He says, quit worrying about who's large and in charge and just let me lead. And if the two of you will come to me together, don't, don't you wish that uh, Adam had said, you know, Eve, that sounds good and it looks good and I'd like to eat it, but let me check with God first. And of course he didn't. Headship. The word is kephale in Greek. It means head of the corner. It's a, a construction term where you establish the cornerstone and everything is laid from the cornerstone so that it's square and right and level. And so Jesus gave us a model. And we have four stories that tell us from different perspectives how he came and loved us and how he came and served us and what headship looks like. He demonstrated it through his relationship with Mary and Martha and with Lazarus. He demonstrated it in his relationship with the twelve that he chose as apostles. He demonstrated it in his relationship with women. He had a, he had a group of women who traveled with him. It was totally countercultural and supported him. And the first word for the first time the word ministry is used, it's in Luke 9 when it's talking about those women that ministered not to Jesus but with Jesus. Because he treated them as partners. He appeared, not by accident, uh, first to the women in the garden. 
Because he's trying to he's trying to give them without creating a revolution, he's trying to create a revolution. Culturally. Headship. Then it says he took the church that had soiled itself and cleansed it with the word. And so one of the tools that Jesus will use to heal your marriage and to restore you to the model that he wants us to follow is uh, truth. Do you know how rare truth-telling is in relationships? Talk to these people who work out of windshape and, and see what happens when men and women get together and finally speak the truth to one another. Sometimes it's like World War III. Because they haven't been speaking the truth to each other. They've been saying what they thought the other person wanted to hear. But Jesus cleanses us with washing of the water with the word, with truth. He cares for us and feeds us. Each And so in care and feeding, each of us nurtures the soul of the other. And we begin, where does this text begin? Worship. It begins when we worship together. Worship, again, doesn't just take place at church. Sometimes the best worship in my life is when she's sitting in her chair and I'm sitting in my chair and I look across her and say, Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I worship you. Look what you did. Look what you've done in my life. Look who she is. We are restored through unity. We are members of one body, members of one another, celebrating one faith and becoming one flesh. And then look at the result. He says, Jesus does this for the church. He cleanses her, he washes her, he feeds her, he nourishes her, he speaks the truth to her. He refuses to lie or be a part of a deception and he restores us. He restores us. And what do we look like when we're restored? What's the word? Radiant. Radiant. Same word that's used about Jesus in chapter 2. We become his radiant bride that he offers to himself as a gift. The best gift A wife can give her husband or a husband can give his wife is each other. The best gift a man can give to himself is to do whatever it takes for his wife to be radiant. Happy wife. Happy life. Yeah. You read it right here. Radiance. It implies healing and renewal and restoration. Savior love is not dominance or grudging compliance. The goal of your relationship, men, is not for you to have a wife who obeys or complies that grudgingly says, okay, well, whatever. You're the boss. What's that mean? That means you're in for a rough time. That means things aren't going to be so great on the couch. Savior love. See, status quo for the day was the man was in charge. He was the owner. He was the boss. What did, they want to, what did the wife want to do? Whatever he says. Because that's the way it works. But, but what Jesus brought is a puzzling, unusual, inexplicable, glorious, radiant mystery. Jesus wants people to meet you 
and see your friendship with other believers or your marriage and, and for them to say, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you have a relationship like that? You want them to walk away from a conversation with you and your spouse going, wow, that's awesome. That's what he has in mind for us, that we become a part of the mystery. The mystery is that Christ becomes the head of all things in the universe, including our marriage, including our friendships and our relationships. It's a mystery. Well, let's talk about how it works. We want to... I grew up poor. I can remember walking past my house with some friends and we walked past my house. I didn't go in. I didn't want them to know where I lived. The place was a mess and I was ashamed. And so what I brought to our marriage was a poverty mentality and shame because that was who I was. I left home the day of high school graduation and never went back. I don't despise my parents, I don't, I I just was embarrassed and ashamed. And I don't want to say a whole lot about upbringing because these tapes have a way of, you know, YouTubing their way into people's lives. But one time we went went to visit my side of the family with Deanna and I and one of our granddaughters. And she met my family and she was kind of quiet. On the way back to the airport, she said, Poppy, what happened? You see, she hadn't grown up the way those other cousins had grown up. She hadn't experienced life like they did with multiple divorces and kids born out of wedlock and crime and just, Poppy, what happened? You want to know what happened? Deanna. That's the truth. I met this beautiful girl with a million megawatt smile and fell in love. And she's the difference. They didn't have her and the rest of my family. They had Bible. They grew up in the same household I did. My dad was a preacher. They grew up with all the same things. What did I have that they didn't have? Deanna. I didn't know it for a long time. Didn't appreciate it. But she was the difference. Because she gave me, without knowing what to call it, she gave me Savior love. I asked her the other day, we've, we've bought and restored 30 houses. How did I ever get away with that? Most women would say, no more, no more, no more. I had two commercial buildings with 32 units managing them all. There was a time where our interest payments, I don't know if she was aware of this, the interest payments on all of our real estate was $600 a day. You try not to think about that too much because uh, you've got to have it at the end of the month. And I said, why did you tolerate all that? I went to India when I was 25 years old and we had three babies at home and I disappeared for a month. Went to Russia and said, I'll, I don't think I'll be able to contact you. I'll call you when I get I'll, I'll see you when I get back got on an Aeroflot flight and went to Russia. And I said, why did you put up with all that stuff? She said, because I knew you could see it. I knew the Lord was in it. 
and I trusted you. You see, that trust was a gift. And that trust made me believe that I could do anything. With her at my side and with her love, I could do anything. Built a large church, enjoyed it, were blessed. Did a hundred mission trips around the world. Like I said, bought and sold properties in our side hustle. And that, that would not have been possible without Savior love. She gave me that gift of confidence and trust. In a Savior love marriage or friendship or church community, the answer to every question that others have about your relationships has the same answer. What's the answer? Jesus. How do you do that? Why do you do that? Where did that come from? How do you pull that off? The answer is Jesus. The answer really isn't Deanna, it's Jesus. There's an old story about a little kid that was in the middle of a lightning storm and kept calling for his dad to come and dad finally said, I'm going to pray with you and I want you to remember that Jesus is here with you. And he said, I know dad, yeah, I know Jesus is here, but sometimes I just need somebody with skin on. And we're called to be Jesus with skin on to each other. We're called to reflect his heart to the people in our lives. Especially, he says, it begins in marriage. It starts with Savior love in marriage. Now, since Adam and Eve, no one has had perfect parents. They're the only ones who ever did. Everybody else has something to forgive. Everybody else has issues. And we work those out in a Savior love relationship. Twelve years into our marriage, I was happy. We were practicing chain of command. I was large and in charge. We were doing what I wanted to do. We were building a church. We were uh, and, and Deanna said, we need to talk. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but I never needed to talk. That was not one of my needs. <laughs> in fact, I'd rather just not talk. And let's just do. We need to talk. We talked all night. She said, I don't want to be a, a pastor's wife. And I said, oh, that's a problem. Because I'm a pastor. And I know that's what God's called me to do. And she said, I know, but I just don't want to do that. I don't play the piano. I don't want to lead women's ministries. I don't want to take care of the church kitchen. I don't want to be what the world calls... a." Uh, I said, well, what do you want to do? She said, I want to go back to school and become a nurse. And I said, well, what's the advantage of that? She said, well, I could help support the family. I said, I could support this family just fine. Thank you. Got my hackles up. And uh, finally, after all night long, I said, if you want to go back to school, you can go back to school simply because that's what you want for you. You don't have to have a reason. It doesn't have to pay off financially or anything else. You've earned this. You deserve it. And we'll support you. And I sat the kids down and said, okay, our world's about to change. Because mom's not going to be doing all your chores. You're going to do them. And we're all going to help. And we're going to give her this opportunity to go back to school as our gift to mom. And I don't want to hear any complaining about it. We're going to do this as uh, an adventure and a gift. And we're going to be so proud of her when she graduates. And uh, we call her Dr. Deanna now, or I do. Um, because of all the things she learned and the difference that made. And uh, can you say, ah? Okay, get ready. At the end of the night, said, you don't have to have any reason. 
If you don't want to be a pastor's wife, I'll be a nurse's husband. There you go. So my, one of my best lines ever. And I meant it. And I stuck with it. The mystery. The mystery is God's plan to bring all things under one head, Jesus. Flip back to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Maybe it's on the screen. We got Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. Yeah. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. So let's go back to the beginning. Who's the head of your house? Who's the head of your home? Jesus. I remember when my kids became Christians, waited till they were teenagers. And they, you know, they accepted Jesus when they were four and all that. But they knew better about sin by the time they were teenagers. They knew a lot about it. Uh, and it was a sincere commitment. And they were baptized and I sat them down and I said to them, everything's changed now. And they said, what do you mean, Dad? And I said, I've been your dad, I've been kind of your boss for all these years, and that's over. And I'm not going to be very good at it, and we're going to have to work at it together, but I'm going to try the best I can to never just say, do this, do that, yes, no. I'm going to want to say, what's, what's the Spirit saying to you? What does Jesus want? I'll do the best I can to do that. And so first thing up, my daughter comes in and says, Laurel and I are going to go to a movie. And I said, what? I'd never been to a movie. I was, you know, 30 years old, 35. Never been to a movie. She said, can, can Laurel and I go to the movie? It's a Disney movie. And I said, no. And she said, Jesus doesn't have a problem with it. <laughs> and I said, you know, you're right. And I don't either. And I had to learn to practice that with, with my kids to establish to them that Jesus is the head of our house. Jesus is the head of our home. And of course, that started with Deanna and me. So there's the question at the end. Who's the head of your house? Have you ever offered yourself to Jesus to become the recipient of Savior love? I hope you have. I assume that you probably have. But if you haven't, one of the things that we do around here is pray and offer people a chance to accept the Savior's love. And uh, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to do anything to call you out. But we want to give you an opportunity just to pray. And we'll all pray with you. I'll, I'll pray and the church will repeat it. And if, you, if you've never done this, uh, this is your first time. Just It's as simple as... Uh, believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and calling out with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So why don't you stand with me and, and let's do that prayer. And again, if, if you haven't experienced Savior love before, if you've thought you were a Christian but didn't understand how it worked and you want to make a commitment today to accept His love and to live in His love, then uh, you're the ones that we want to pray for. So 
again, I'll, I'll pray you follow. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I accept your love. I want to live in your love. Forgive me my sins. And please accept me as your gift to yourself. In your name I pray. Amen. Gary. Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for reminding me that I'm not the head of the house, that we're in it together. Sorry, doll. Um, sometimes, you know, even after 42 years, you still don't get it right. Uh, and I need to ask for forgiveness. So, um, if our prayer partners would come up front now, uh, there's some folks up here that would love to pray with you if you have any need in your life that you'd like to share with them. Uh, these folks would be happy to pray with you today as well. Um, after church today, if you haven't signed up, there's an opportunity. We, we do once a month, we call it Catch the Vision where we kind of tell you a little bit about what makes Cornerstone tick. And if you want to be a part of what we're doing here, well, we'd love to have you um, come, uh, take about a half hour or so, and just find out about what we do here, how we do it, and how you can become a part of it. So thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thank you for Steve. Let's give him a big round of applause. And he is right. He's, he and Deanna are not guests anymore. They're part of the family. Um, so as always, we want to send you out with a blessing out of Numbers uh, chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.